What's up, everybody? Broken City Artist Podcast. We have a very super extra special guest, Kay Shaw, also known as Kevin Shaw. Howdy. Depending on where, where you sit in the high hierarchy of relationship or seriousness with which they take you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I, I think it's it's more <laughs> the third person is Kay Shaw. Third okay. person Kay Shaw. Did Kay Shaw do that? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then you go, what's up, Kevin? It, it, yeah. I don't call you Keisha. No, no, no. When I'm channeling Mr. Sarcasm, then I'm Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> Every other time, it's... Okay. Kevin. What does your mom call you? Uh, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. I already knew the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to ask. She chose that name. Yeah. So, blah, 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 blah. Keisha, for those of you who don't know... Kevin. Kevin, for those of you who don't know, is... What do you do for Broken City Percussion? which is an arm of Broken City Artists. I arrange all the front ensemble music, um, and I do the sound design, and you know, as well as take some of the uh, original material that Adam supplied us with, and compose material around that, and take it and transfigure it into something else, and... Uh, Tolerate Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's a skill set in, in and of itself. Yeah, we were talking earlier about how you some of your uh, some of the challenges that are uniquely yours are figuring out ways to dig yourself out of holes that right. maybe people put you in right? or the music is put in because especially this year's Broken City Percussion show which is the first year it's been called Broken City <clears throat> it's been a very deliberate sort of uh, repurposing of pre-existing material a lot quite a bit of it right? yeah I mean more so than or I guess in a more deliberate way maybe than past years right. where like it's sort of like what we all decided was it, a lot of the material was going to come from kind of my solo music or some stuff that was Broken City artists related and then, and then dumped on dumped over or taken out and I don't know how would you describe it both of you you both have different relationships to that whole process I would think, I would think. yeah I think just trying to tell a story with with a finite parameters, finite grouping of, of tools, in this case, um, a body of work. Um, I've done some of that sort of stuff before, like with uh, um, Starry Night, like telling the story of Starry Night through only Peter Gabriel catalog, things like that, mm. um, where you just kind of challenge yourself, like, oh, this would be interesting, this would turn out somewhat unique. Um, I think I think with Broken City, it's more of a there's more depth to it than just a single year or a single production. Hmm. Um, it's more of a philosophical way. I mean, we're kind of all aligned. We all, yeah, we. I mean, we have obviously our own unique personalities and approaches, but I think um, I think we do unite under a philosophical umbrella, yeah. and to try to create from that, and then um, extending that to. I think we, we talked about keeping all the inspiration internal rather than looking for external sources. I've been involved in projects where you're on Google and you're you know, looking for inspiration mm. and what is this and what is that and how can I use this and oh here's something interesting and then, and then drawing from that and creating from it. Yeah. And I think um, the cool thing about what we're doing now is just keeping it internalized. So using Kevin's original <coughs> works. Um, whatever thoughts and origin, originality I can bring to the project, and then, of course, um, anything that you've done. 
Okay. Yeah, and everything that I do, I do from Google. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that, that the Cage, the theme, the, the show is called Cage, um, was actually inspired from a song you have called Cage, mm-hmm. which we ended up not using yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the concept of Cage in your song is completely different than what we're doing. Yeah. So it's it's that was really interesting. So taking that concept, taking the 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 spark, the catalyst of the title, and letting that just have a life of its own, and then finding all of these other materials within you know our sphere to tell that story. Yeah, it's really it's weird. Cool. It's it's strange for me too because it's like I've been used as a diving board. You know. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Like, boing, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, wait. <laughs> Well, like, a, lot, a lot of the stuff that that you have, you know, had some sort of nugget or kernel to it that we were drawn to, or I could speak for myself, and but then that shoots you in a different direction, or if you look at just the stem by itself, you know, I try to do that sometimes, you know, if you, if you send us a stem, I try to listen to just the vocal first without any of the... Harmonic underpinning. Yeah, yeah. and then, like, see where that puts me, and sometimes... And this is not a good or bad thing, but sometimes when I listen to the the original mix of everything, I'm like, oh, that's like not even close to what I would have thought. Yeah. Was behind it, and it's really kind of fun, but sli- slightly um, nerve wracking to take something that's yours and then put a different spin on it, you know. But um, that's kind of I think where the fun is, you that's know. And cool. hopefully, we put out something um, from a product standpoint that people can take and have that same level of attachment like something maybe sticks out to them and it isn't necessarily the way you meant it but something draws them into it which that's the beauty of art and i mean for those of you watching this is the first time that you and i have actually talked about this stuff yeah because mike's been sort of the middleman and we've seen each other in passing but it's interesting to hear that because the way the way that i see my work and especially my work relative to broken city percussion is that these are completed works that I'm doing that I'm kind of like repurpose them however you want because I trust you guys so like um, it's interesting to hear that you have that moment at first whatever that moment might be whether it's like do you ever feel weird about doing that? yeah all the time yeah because you, know? you don't and that, have and to that's why that's part of the stress of it is making sure that it's serving the bigger purpose and I'm not just taking it to mangle it for the sake of it but Right. You know, taking the really, I'm drawn to the emotional content of the way that it's being delivered, and and in the context of where we're trying to put that in the show and try to make that come to life. And sometimes um, the delivery of the performance and the music that was created originally behind it doesn't necessarily relate to the project in which we're trying to put it in mm. in the context of where we're at. And so, but that's not a good or bad thing. It's just a different thing. Yeah. You know, and it. So I feel bad in that, well, that's not your original vision of it, but hopefully, but the, the part of it that drew me into it is the, the performance and the, the, you know, the identity of the way that you presented the material in the first place, and hopefully that makes it into the idea in the first place. You know, we're yeah. not taking a, an emotion that you're creating and then repurposing it into a totally different emotion. It's the emotion is still there. Yeah. It's just maybe the dressing is different. It's yeah, like it's being cool. pen pals or making a movie by saying like, "Okay, I'm I'm writing this script, but you don't get to talk to me." 
which actually happens a lot. It's like you send that out, and then somebody takes it and goes, okay, whatever I'm getting from this, even though it's not a complete movie, this is the seed from the next part, but I don't get to talk to the right. original creator. Right. It's this interesting pin pal relationship, which I find awesome because I think our, where we come from art, artistically is so different. Mm -hmm. I think Mike's in the middle somewhere, and we're at like poles, you know, like sure. we're bookends in a way, sure. artistically. Like I come from, from a more Western pop sensibility or something, or rock. <clears throat> So I love that because yeah. it's almost like I don't know, I'm like sending you Morse code or something, but yeah. it's emotional Morse code. Well, he knows. I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's difficult for me because it's not necessarily my wheelhouse to kind of have that, you know, uh, the sensibility of the the rock influence. Is I don't have that plethora of history in my head, so it's hard for me sometimes to kind of. Take. You weren't into the Queens of the Stone Age we did last year? <laughs> it's not that I wasn't into X, Y, or Z. I'm just putting in the perspective of what comes easier. And, yeah. and But I embrace the challenge, you know? So You know, I want to well, touch a little bit on the... You said that... I don't know. You don't have fear, but it, you're a little apprehensive about going into it because you don't want to mangle it, I think is what you right. said. And it's funny because I think I feel the same way that with this relationship... There's accountability, whereas let's say we were arranging a Peter Gabriel song, we're not really accountable. I mean, we go through the proper channels, we get the rights to arrange. You don't have to see his face. Yeah, we don't have to talk to the guy and have him just like shake his head and go, right. "What are you doing?" Right. You know, and I, th yeah. I think that that that's actually like really cool. I, I'm enjoying the challenges that this is bringing. It's because I think the rewards are more meaningful. You know, it's. I know we have to navigate through some things that we're not used to navigating through, um, but you know, like really searching the lyrics and something came up the other day. Actually, I don't think I told you this, but yeah. <clears throat> where you know we're trying to put the finishing touches on the show and like it needs this and needs this. Here's a story we're trying to tell, and then I found myself like accidentally like trying to write lyrics, right? And I'm realizing that this is not your wheelhouse. Me, it would be like somebody telling me the, the snare lick they wanted to play or the battery thing that they wanted to do. Right. And when when I'm a part of something, like it has to be, here's another Seth Godin, a Seth Godin quote, the don't give the customer what they want, oh, yeah. give them something you're proud to put your name on. And that's definitely like the vibe of whatever project I'm involved in, I gotta be proud to put my name on it. Yeah. But when you said, I'll do it, but that's something I would never write. Like I would never say those words. Like just the the, the syntax or the, the the rhythm of whatever was being yeah. presented was like that's like your first draft. Yeah, like maybe maybe you don't know what you would say, but you definitely know you wouldn't say that. And yeah. I feel a lot of the times I feel that same emotion with with writing or visual. Right. I know like visually I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I can look at something and go, I would never do that. And that's and probably where a lot of our I don't want to say conflict, that's the wrong word, but anytime we have any sort of problem yeah. where we have Healthy to... Healthy tension. Yeah, well, we have to... Artistic problem, where I think maybe that's exactly what it is. It's Maybe I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't do it like that. Right. And then if I do something that isn't necessarily working, your first thought is, well, I wouldn't do it like that. And so there's that... Right. Well, I think that's, we're that's trying to cool. do something that we're both proud of, but if if we get to a point where we're both not necessarily... Like, if it's not... You know that our right. natural feeling. Then it's well, a little bit weird. The thing, the thing I really enjoy. This happened like two days ago. What I really enjoyed our text. discussion. Yeah, just via text, was 
that we're in a really cool position that that you and I can come up with like where we want to take this thing, what we're trying to say, what what is the what is the story so to speak, um, what is the connection, um, and then as long as you have a sense of context, then it's right. We don't have to do any anything else. It's here's the context. You've seen you've seen the performances. You know where we came from, and you know where we're headed, and then. The rest is like you leave it up to the expert, and it's the same way we would approach if we're you know working with Blue Knights or Drum Corps or Idiom. Um, you know, you 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 have a sense of direction as a whole as a team, but you let the drill guy do his thing because sure. he's putting his name on it. You let the drum guy do their thing because he's putting his name on it. Right. Yeah, it's particularly um, strange and sensitive too because sometimes, <clears throat> like in the case of of what we were talking about, it's like. Again, like the song "Mother Father" on my new record was a was the diving board that kind of jumped into all this other stuff, and then right. you guys created a new work that was eas- easily as much, if not more, um, a piece of my work. It was more. It became more. I think your guys's work or something. You know, like I laid the foundation, but then this whole thing was built on top of it, and then it got thrown back to me, and you guys became a diving board, and then that's where the the, the lyric thing happened. And I got, like, very, um, in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm getting, like, emotional. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm getting possessive, I'm getting, like, uh, defensive, and all those things are going through my mind, and I'm like, this is not my album. My album's done. Like, I just yeah. need to remind myself, that song is, is done. This is a new work that was a diving board for this other work. So I had to, like, remember... And actually, I meant it. Like, I'm like, whatever you want, but just know this. Does this change the, where we're jumping off? And you said, yes, it does. Yeah. So then like, I was like, okay, like, because, cool. Because had we been in the same room, if it wasn't via text... You would have saw think, my face go... <laughs> well, I think, I think you would have felt that <clears throat> the last thing I would want anybody on the team, anybody, doesn't matter you know, what cog or what they contribute to the ensemble... I would never want them to feel like they're um, being told what to do, sure. or they're they're somehow uh, an employee, like they're they're a member. Like even to the person that's just you know standing in front of the snare line, you know, trying sure. to get them to to execute properly. Um, that I want just as much passion there as anywhere else. That might be the hardest part of your job, and the thing that you're most misunderstood about. I would say, is that you're, I've noticed it just in the interactions we've had, is that you're really big on on expressing con- uh, context. So like the other day when we were up there and you you came in and you were story-filled like up to the gills <laughs> with energy and I had been sitting around all day in this very like internal reflective <laughs> state and you came in with all this energy and I'm like, whoa. And then you kept, you were telling me all this context and then I was like, and we're talking about creating something on the spot for the, I think the closer, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I was like, okay, hold on a second. I, I remember saying to you, I need to go inward. And I'm like, gosh, I sound like such a pretentious prick right now, because <laughs> I needed like some space to like go away and get into that place where I could write something worth hearing. And then I did it. I took the time, and you're like, I, I, I need to shut up. And you started looking on the computer. You were kind of like, okay, cool, story build out. Yeah. And then I w- went somewhere. 
and I tried to like really go there and then I came out with something and you kind of didn't dig it at first and I got super emotional again I was like I'm actually pissed right now. <laughs> wow, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little sarcasm. Well, actually, <laughs> dude, you do know a lot Channel about it. Channel right there. It was all those videos I was sending you. Yeah. Of the, all, of the new content. Because yeah. where it ended up, I think, is just... I'm super happy. It works really well. Like, I don't even, I don't even care about... It's, it's moments like that, like that day. The feeling that I had that day is why I do this. Yeah, actually, it's, I haven't seen you that. It was awesome. Celebratory, what? Celebratorily joyous, like in a like, I witnessed you having like a transcendent moment of like, this is why I do this. Like what you just said, I was like, yeah, that's what it looked like. You know, and it was fun for me too. I was just. I think it's important that that I and we talked about this later that a lot of times when you when you present an idea or a lyric line or whatever, my first thing that goes through my head is it's not whether I like it or that it's good it's how am I going to portray that visually oh interesting how am I going right. to make that story so you with, instantly accept it with bodies on the floor where I can't just you know it's not like I'm making a movie and I can just change scenes you know new characters daylight nighttime like doing that with physical bodies on on a you know finite piece of real estate is like I see it, like no. It doesn't live in a vacuum. Yeah, like I can't. Right. So it's not like oh that sucks or that that's not good <clears throat> or it doesn't work with the show. It might very well might work with the show, but like there's no realistic way with the amount of time we have or with our limitations that that I could portray it visually. And I think that's maybe where for that split second we weren't understanding each other. But it was it was yeah. But what what ended up happening in that particular instance was. What was funny is I was rolling on my, my iPhone the entire time. It was like 35 minutes or something. And when we were going back to figure out what it was, I said, all right, well, just hold on. Just let's do it again and see what you think. And I played it for you again, and you went, it's perfect. Don't change it. And I couldn't tell if you were, like, giving up or if you actually were like, oh, no, now I'm here to do I didn't think you did. Well, I mean, not give up, but sort of relinquished control of that piece and said, like, you know what? That's going to work because you're passionate about it, in a way. Like, you kind of went to a trust it's, place. Yeah, it's going to be better. I think, yeah, I mean, there's always the filter of the impossibility of, of staging. It's it's like my yeah. greatest inner fear of, okay, I love the idea, but how is this going to play out? How is this actually going to happen on the floor? But even outside of that, here's something to throw at both of you guys. Like, I've always, and this has gone against me sometimes or I've been sort of misunderstood in this area which is like I feel like as long as everybody's civil whoever if you're collaborating whoever believes in their idea the most if there's mutual respect kind of should win and that that little battle what did you call it earlier that wasn't the right word or you felt like wasn't conflict conflict that's like a healthy conflict like here's something and you go I don't know if that's it I go like I really think this is it and you're like I really don't I really do and then you know the other person goes alright then you win and I trust you like I feel like that probably happens a lot for sure this. yeah sure because it's like oh you're more passionate about it I, I trust you then right. I think the opening lyrics and then you didn't buy into them until you came up with the Beethoven thing the Bach Bach sorry the Bach it, thing it, it, aren't it they the same even... guy <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's on tape too. <laughs> it wasn't even a buy-in thing. It was. I think it was. You know, I get in my headspace about like the reception as far as like the way that it's being understood. Oh. You know, so especially at the beginning of the process, like you know, my one of my insecurities with the the whole process is. I think maybe this applies to a lot of people, is are we going to be understood? Mm. Or are we going to be, not even understood, but appreciated or have people be engaged? And one of the hardest things to do is to have singing in which the way that it's being sung, it's got like a little bit of a slur to it. And so sometimes it's hard to make out, especially in the context of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not in a situation where someone is sitting there with a sheet of paper with the poetry and then like being able to like hit rewind and listen to it over and over. I mean, it has to be, it re it's received one time immediately. And Which I'm speaks to how important it is that you, you make a connection on a more emotional level right. rather than specific and so I think the conflict word that we were word. having initially wasn't necessarily that the lyrics or that the emotional content wasn't there. It was just, what are we trying to say? And Will it be is this achieving that? Yeah. Right? So um, I think now as we look <coughs> back, it's perfect as far as like the emotional identity of what it is that we're trying to say. I think it worked out because of this, these kind of sensitivities. You know, yeah. like you... I mean, this might feel like a left turn in the conversation, but that those vocals were performed to be heard, you know, roughly either with earbuds or roughly five feet from a speaker, not right. in a gym. Right. And the context that it was recorded in, I'm acutely aware of that when I sing. Like, what level of nuance is going to be heard over this track? And that's that's where I feel like I'm emoting. You know, like it's just like a drummer playing 64th notes in a stadium it's a buzz, it might as well be a buzz roll right so understanding the context that things are going to be heard in changes your performance you can you have, to, you have to use a different language of nuance and i think it's true when that stuff comes on it's like you hear i'm singing in a slightly low register which already blurs in that right. context so you had to figure out how well to and that's why i just it. wanted to make sure that they were just like those just the distinct piano hits yeah they were but very space, answer yeah but like without the space you wouldn't be able to make out what the vocals are at all and uh, I feel like now it's a good uh, this goes back to what we were talking about like the original doesn't have that space because you can mix it however you want yeah. so we can make everything out but vocals in, compressed really hard exactly quiet, yeah. but in our situation if we had played the original material we would have kind of gotten into this you know our catchphrase of clarity of intent like mm -hmm. what am I supposed to be listening to here and unfortunately for our activity not unfortunately but it's the reality is that sometimes less is more and you have to make sure that you know you're being really concise with the audio frequencies that are being presented otherwise it's going to get lost for sure you know like I singing that way putting the kind of reverb that ends up on it in a gym I would have sung differently so it's like you guys are dealing with that too it's yeah. like that song has a very low slapback delay on the record. It's a song called Reborn on, on the Way Out record. And sonically, that's been completely like tuned in to, for that specific purpose. And then it's been repurposed. And I think it works great. Like you, It turned from a um, 
high definition painting full of detail into like a uh, who's that painter from the Renaissance that's like everything's sort of like blurry on purpose. What's his name? Monet. Yeah, Monet. Uh, it's been turned into a Monet when. Oh God, this sounds pretentious now. It, it's been turned into sort of a watercolor. So the <laughs> <laughs> there it's it been, is. Adam Watts thinks I. That's watercolor. what I really think. No, it's, it's been turned into like a watercolor when initially it was done with a like a super fine pencil or something. There we go. Just because it had to be zoomed out, it had to blow it up. Yeah. That's so. That's such an interesting thing. Understanding context. And it's so cool because <laughs> when when. When I put all that together, I had no idea what was going to happen visually. And then what got created there through Mike and Vanessa, it was just... Vanessa like, Vaniola. I mean, like, awesome. I watch it now, right. and I like if I strip away the soundtrack, I'm more inspired by what the choreography is <laughs> than my treatment to the soundtrack, you know? And it's really amazing. Hashtag humble. Dude, it's... Like, I, I wish that... Like, if I had seen that choreography, maybe I would have treated it a different way, but, like, th those are the kind of things you can't even dwell on, you know? Just you just got to move forward. And... That's huge, man. That that brings us back to, I don't know if, if we want to talk about this, but we're about to, <laughs> which is, like, take, you know, my suggestion, like, hey, what if you took out the vocals? I was like, there, there seems to be a confusing lack of whatever. And then you guys tried it, and it was like, and I was like, oops, I, ruined, <laughs> I helped ruin it. Like that, that confusion that I was feeling was good. It helped something pay off thirty seconds later. Yeah, and it was like, oh wow, interesting. Like maybe it could be made better with a different suggestion, but that you one. No, but there's well. no way to know that. Yeah, in rehearsal, it's such a living, breathing yeah. thing because of like how strong they're feeling that day, the venue that we're in, yeah, the, the people that are in the audience, is huge, like is the time rating. of day. It's huge. it's really cool. That's like. It's really hard to have that same level of like energy and excitement every single performance. And that's the really amazing and cool thing about being in Dayton at finals is that there's this sense of like climax to the season because there's no show up until that day where it's that level of energy in wow. one room, you know? There's, it's never duplicated. There's a couple of venues that we perform in that are just super dry, small and it's it's a little awkward for the performers because they're used to getting some sort of feedback um, you know from the audience and I guess it'd be it'd be like walking into a coffee shop and going you know how's everybody doing tonight it's <laughs> <laughs> been super awkward but that would totally work yeah in Dodger Stadium you know you say that over a microphone you're going to get a response so what's the difference specifically is it a smaller space or a drier drier space it's just that it's big and it's packed full of people that are ready and primed okay that so are it's just the emotional wanting. well it's, yeah. it's it is the acoustics too like the, right. the dry room especially because we we have the context in mind with just frequencies like um, either low end hits or, or cymbal crashes or whatever sort of sustained effects and you go into a dry room and it's just like you hit it at the end of a phrase, and it just it just kind of sits there. Yeah, you There's guys no rehearse outside a lot, so you know yeah. they know that still, but right. not so, with the same adrenaline. You don't want to oversaturate with an indoor activity with percussion. It just gets it gets too much. Yeah. And so sometimes that backfires when you have these smaller venues. But it's it's interesting because we've talked about transference and countertransference. That's definitely one of those those weird little things that you, there's no way you could ever figure out in a rehearsal. Like you just got to do it. 
So in the context of taking vocals out and just giving it a shot, um, I it was okay. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm fine with experimenting and trying new things. I don't. I don't want to always play it safe because you just reduce the amount of like cool stuff you can come up with. I mean, I wish I wish we could say, well, we have a very clear plan of what every single element in the show is and what it means. And, yeah. But that's you know, it's not the case. And as much as we'd like it for to be that, I think there's the magic in discovery. Totally, and it's a different thing. Like even just my mindset, like I'm watching a file, so I'm looking at it a little bit more. Like I look at my own work, you know, the painting thing we were talking about earlier, like. There's such a difference between something that's like all about an experience being performed as opposed to about creating a finished work that you can go back to and back to. The point of that day was like, you guys knew that if you tried it, it, it goes out and it goes away and it wasn't a huge risk. Right. And me watching it, I was like, this is a video. Like, this is the sub final product. Subconsciously, right. I was looking at a final product and kind of felt like, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know? But in the end it's just it was really cool to see how something that I perceived as not working actually really was working for different reasons than I thought like watching the crowd go after these killer like and the crowd went am I supposed to clap here and every other time I've seen it they were like Rah! like it just they had an emotional reaction that was what you planned yeah. What you guys designed. Yeah. It's really cool. It, and that's the podcast. For the <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you brought up transference, countertransference with no context. So, for the guy, for people watching. I thought we hit that at a previous podcast. So I don't think we did, actually. But there's a, um, as you guys know, to add to the pretense that I've accidentally conveyed a couple times, I'm writing a book. But about the arts and, and just there's this uh, paradigm in, in counseling that I feel like applies to, to the arts and being an artist and being an audience member, which is it's called transference and countertransference. And it usually defines the emotional relationship between like a therapist and the client and the sort of subconscious or even sometimes conscious kind of emotional things that happen. Like if somebody's angry, you start to feel their anger empathetically and then that affects the way you respond to that person and then it goes back and forth. And <clears throat> so it's almost like looking at our ability as human beings with, with empathy and how empathy works um, and how we pick up on emotions, whether it's the body language or tone of voice or all these different things. And we pick up emotions like a disease. It just kind of gets spread to us. Like, wait a minute, I wasn't mad and they're mad, but now I'm mad. And, and that transference of, of emotion, I think, happens in the arts where you can create something that seems like art or whatever, with hand quotes, and create it tr completely from craft, let's say. Like, just pick randomly some chords, and then some, randomly some words, or not randomly, but unemotionally maybe, or even intellectually. Like, oh, this sounds cool, and that sounds cool. And if you don't, I believe that if you not if you don't actually emote into your decision making, and make decisions rooted in your the totality of your being, like not just your intellect, but also your emotions, and also those intangibles that you might call spirituality. When you do that, 
that stuff is actually tattooed into your medium, whether you're a painter or a musician or a dancer. It either comes out in your body or it gets, it somehow goes into the music. And it's very, I would call it kind of magical that your decision-making creates this emotion that's actually embedded and baked into the art. And then, so I would call that transference into your medium. And then that medium now becomes a Trojan horse. And if it's an MP3, it gets, it flies through the, the web or whatever. And then that becomes a little, maybe Trojan horse or like a pill of emotion. And then when somebody like swallows that pill or hears that song, that emotion is then transferred to them and they experience that emotion as like counter-transference. <clears throat> and so that's like how I'd almost define what art is, you know, is like, does this uh, tangible object or thing that's made for the ears or the eyes, whatever the art form might be, is their emotion captured and embedded in that thing or not? Or inner experience, let's say, emotion or intellect or anything. Um, and I think that's the beauty of art. And when I think something isn't, that's what makes you either love or hate something. I think indifference is maybe like a clue that there might not be transference going on. Right. If there's powerful feelings, emotions, thoughts, spirituality in a work, you're either going to connect to it or it's going to be not for you, or you may even hate it. But feeling kind of indifferent yeah. almost seems like I think somebody just made a thing without much like deliberate action. What do you guys think about that? Does that sound true to you? No, I definitely agree that indifference is probably the, the worst thing. Because if somebody hates it, there's it's connecting. It's not connecting maybe in the way it intended. In a positive way. Yeah. yeah. It's But I think what you're saying when you say you hate something, I think you're actually saying that this thing, whatever it is, has an identity. A really strong identity. And it's not for me. And it's yeah. not for me. Which is like mission accomplished. I mean having an identity, having something that, it says something. You may not like what it's saying, but it says something. I think Philip Glass's music is a really good example of, if, if it doesn't affect you, like the reason why I like Philip Glass is that he, to me, um, in some of his most like, kind of music, that to me is kind of representative of the way I find myself thinking a lot. I, found my, I find myself mulling over things and trying to find something new through the mulling. And so when I hear that music, I'm attracted to it. But right. some people hear it and go like, ugh! Like it's too much of the same thing. It's annoying. Right. It's, you know, like, they have a strong negative reaction because they don't maybe connect to what that means to, sit, to just sit there and go, uh, and ruminate. So I think maybe all some of it is also the way that you go to listen to it. I mean, you yeah. know, you think about the fact that if you're in a really happy chipper mood and you listen to something that's real melancholy, you're like, well, I'm not, I don't really want to listen to that right now mm. because I'm busy being happy or flip that's that, you know? So maybe the emotion that you're trying to transfer doesn't necessarily make it because of the state of mind of the person receiving it. Whereas, so like you use the MP3 example, you know, you put something out there and if someone's kind of in a mood and they want to hear something like that, then they're an open receptacle to those emotions and they're getting those emotions it's a little tricky for our for what we do because now you've got an audience full of people that are not necessarily trying to be moved in a certain emotional <laughs> category that sometimes we're exploring so it's tricky you, you know, know it's awesome. a risk it's a calculated risk you know what i find awesome about what you just said is 
<laughs> that statement moved, it means to be taken from here to there. So I almost feel like if, and this isn't count like a counteract or whatever, me disagreeing with you, I guess, but I think it's a beautiful thing if you're moved somewhere where you're like, ah, oh, I didn't even know I want to be here. Right. And th- that's why we, I think we're drawn to that. Yeah. Is the challenge because, you know, Can if, you, you, if you go to Disneyland and hand out candy, everyone, I mean, that's easy. You, you moved know? me to sweets. <laughs> I'm happy. I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying that some people take the easy route and some people take the hard route. That's not the point. I think we just embrace that challenge of, you know, we were talking about earlier, what kind of things are we drawn to or what I'm drawn to. And, you know, if I'm... Yeah. drawn to a specific emotional connection I live my whole life in walking down the street and if that emotional connection presents itself drawn I'm drawn to it. to it so we're we're banking on the fact that there's enough people in the audience that are open receptacles to those emotions regardless of what state of mind that so they're expectations in. are big yeah you know you know what the, the thing that awesome. is, is hidden sort of behind all of this is the context that how long it takes to put a production like these these shows together that it's it, the designing experience yeah the audition process starts in September um, and there's definitely thought happening before that so maybe August mm-hmm. there even maybe even right. as early as July and then you start rehearsing regularly in late November or December and then you're in full swing January February March and then finally April is the, the pinnacle of the season so given the fact that it, it takes so long for this thing to happen, such a like a detailed, like like giant body of work that takes forever and so many moving parts and so many people involved, so logistics and, and just And you're in a different yeah. mood and emotion by the time yeah, you're at so the end anyway. Because because of all of that, and it can be consumed in seven minutes. You're sitting you're sitting in a in an arena on the final day, you're a spectator, you're a fan, and you, you can take that all in seven minutes, like that whole season, that whole year of work. Um, at, I know we've we talked about this before, but it, I feel like a responsibility that it has to be meaningful because the amount of dollars being put into this by just the mm. members and the time away from family and responsibility and jobs and just real life like yeah. to be able to suspend your you know personal social existence and put yourself into this project sorry is i like i can't trivialize that or sure. I, you know what i mean it's like I, I i feel a responsibility where it has to be something meaningful something important doesn't mean it always has to be serious or dark but it ends up that way. Yeah, <laughs> it just ends up depending on who you are, and how you approach it. So I think that's that's part of the maybe it's it's almost like we're not only are we serving ourselves with an outlet, but we're serving our membership, we're serving the organization by making sure that it's deep and sophisticated right. well, it, and meaningful. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes the audience is not in the mood for that. They right. want us. They want a circus. Well, that's they a want a trapeze act. You I've know been I mean? around the two of you together. How many times? Maybe this is the first time. Actually, usually you guys are. <laughs> when I've seen you, it's been apart. But right. what what's already readily apparent to me is the philosophical um, 
differences you guys have in your mindset of what you're doing, which is awesome because a lot of time that creates a really cool seesaw or a tension that you can feel in the music because it sounds like you're very aware of the expectations of the audience and you want your you have a sense of um, your uh, what's it called your sense of wanting to give um, what's that called generosity generosity it's a huge word yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it wasn't in my head thank you um, your sense of generosity is rooted in, in other people and sort of like they're coming there with something with an expectation and I don't want to rob them of that I want to give them something special that's within their expectations. Is that fair? I, I a think so. Bit? I mean, I think I'm a little greedier than that. Okay. Um, but I think he's the most greedy in that sense. Oh, and I'm right there with he's, you. He's I'm a, exactly like he's that. Here's the difference, though. Like, to be, play devil's advocate for your guys' greed, um, I think it's, <laughs> it's one thing to kind of go out there and put something out, like a, a work that's like, Here's an apple. So what's our best representation of an apple? It's like, well, you can have someone critique that and chip away at it, and, it, and you're not hurt by it because it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. We're all kind of getting to the same place. We all know what an apple looks like. But I think what we're trying to do sometimes is, like, here's the best representation of ourselves. And it's like... It's a rhubarb, and they're like, eh, it's kind of phallic. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> Just kidding. That was weird. <laughs> it was a little weird. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, I mean, whatever it is that you put out, it's you so you're just critiquing yourself for the most part and how people take it in is the way that they're going to take it in so when i come into it as far as like what the audience is ready and expecting i treat it like i'm an audience member and i'm ready and willing to take whatever it is that anyone's going to give me but that's not that's not to say that everyone is going into it the same way Mm. you know and so do you think about that while you're writing um sometimes yeah um, but I think Mike put it the best earlier, was, which was, I think for, I'm writing for my peers, and I'm writing for myself. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily, it sounds terrible, it's not like I'm not writing for the judges, because it's not like I'm dehumanizing them or anything like that. I'm just not necessarily creating based on an expectation of reward. Mm. I'm trying to create on an expectation of connection. And I think I want to make sure I can connect. And that may or may not apply to a judge because it depends on how much they're thinking about the sheet. Yeah. Which is what I thought was awesome about the one show that I went to. It seemed like those judges, two of them said, sorry, I'm not talking very much. I just found myself listening. It's, It's funny that those weren't, they were judges at that show. Right, but they're not. Those are actual competitors from another region back east you almost said it <laughs> what who they were but yeah uh, I'll say who they were yes but that was that was really cool I mean it was actually a great one for, for me to experience you know but they found themselves kind of involved and in connecting you know and so in that case they weren't they were really just people not judges at that point right and then they're like oh yeah I'm a judge so let me it's it's no one's them. it's no one's fault that things are the way they are it's because there's there are people who are really good at what they do and they're just like super like scientific technicians and just experts and and you know hyper aware of of details Hmm. and you know in in any activity or or venture you you need those kind of people it just 
that doesn't necessarily mean that every single project, ensemble, whatever, is needs to um, design for that, design with that in mind. For instance, um, you know, yeah, I could name names, but like like speed metal, like math metal, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, Meshuga. Yeah, it's just it's just so like technical and just like those guys are are insane, like just you know machine gun fingers on a guitar and you're gonna have you know Sam Smith come out you know seven minutes later and then how do you judge that especially when maybe your background is more you know the, the math mental background so it's yeah and the, I mean the glass is half full half full like I guess a perspective on that is just you need you only you only know the dark by the light. You only know the you know the sour by the sweet and all that stuff. That's the beauty of it, you know. Without the competition, none of this would exist. Yeah, the competition's good. Yeah. It just it's just you have to be able to say I think to have sanity to to truly be in a, in a happy place, you have to be able to say that the the numbers don't matter. It's more what my greatest enjoyment is is that every group was different. Because if there's even two groups that are remotely the same, I'm somewhat disappointed. Like the, the homogenization of, of any art form is, is most disappointing to me. So I, my favorite thing, there's been a few years like that where I sit down, I'm able just to watch like 10 or 12 groups in a row, and I love it when there's, there's like at least 11 of them were like completely different from one another. Okay, so t tell me this, like, do you do what Mike does? Do you wait till the end to watch, or do you do you watch other groups along the way? I'm shifting closer to like I've I saw a couple groups early in the season, and I, I did some judging this year. Okay, but I'm definitely I maybe three four years ago I used to watch like pretty aggressively just in general just to like kind of take it in. As I'm a fan of the activity, and I, I want to see the growth. I want to kind, of, but I think more and more now. I, I see that it gets in the way of my own thought process, mm -hmm. and whether or not whether it's conscious or subconscious, it just it creates this air of insecurity that I don't need, mm -hmm. and just recognizing the fact that we are insecure, you can't unsee it. You, you have That's to embrace that yeah. exactly. You can't unsee it. And were well, you seeing it partially to for competitive reasons, or I, I guess probably deep down inside, yeah. But I, it's not even like, oh, let me go and see what they're doing so that I can do it Reacts. as well. Yeah, it's just the sense of like I'm a fan of the art form, so it's like I want to kind of see what other people's right. interpretation of the art form are. But if you're doing that in the process of creating, that's when it gets in the way. Poisonous. So it's it's. A, well, I think the public is better served if. Because you say you're a fan of the activity and you want to participate in that and support it, but the the public is better served if you. Well, I can speak for myself. <laughs> if you isolate yourself, yeah, no, if you right. isolate yourself somewhat so that you make sure that what you're doing is completely unique and there's no outside influences and there's it's it is you get in this like almost psychosis of of you know crippling self doubt. And, sure. And I'm a big believer that during the making of art, you shouldn't be reacting to other art. You should be reacting to life. Right. While you're learning art, reacting to other art is really helpful to yeah. your craft and, and yeah. that's learning. That's my favorite thing about championships. Like in in uh, the end of the season, is sitting down and literally watching like twelve groups in a row. It's like it's the 
it's the best end of the season because I get to finally see what all of my cohorts and friends and competitors are 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 creating. You know, it's, it's really cool to see I, their end product. I think something you just said that kind of like puts the finger on it, which is the developing the craft. And I think I've spent so much time trying to develop the craft and feeling like, okay, once it's developed, now I'll make art, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that gradually I've been shifting into, well, it, not that I necessarily say I'm an artist or anything like that, but the idea that the craft will come over time. Yeah. But you should always strive to express yourself. And that the, you could be the first, this could be the first thing you've ever written, or you could have been doing it for 22 years. And that does not diminish the thought process or the expressive efforts. Mm -hmm. Anyone, you know what I mean? Everyone is unique and different and can be fulfilling. Now, the craft of it can help connect you to other people better, yeah. and that's going to develop over time. But focusing on that and that being the sole motivation. Um, is a little hindering and I, I've found myself kind of recognizing that about what it is that I do is focusing on the craft as opposed to and that's just my that's who I am so yeah you know when I when I watch shows or watch groups or you know like especially in this activity I really dig into the nuts and bolts of the composition the orchestration the pacing and then you see the same devices being used over and over it's for some people, it's easy because they recognize those devices and they can connect to it mm -hmm. as an audience member. So it's like it's it's good for pacing. But as someone who creates in a lot of these kind of shows, then it becomes self-serving and monotonous. I and couldn't agree more. Like, I th there's so many cool things in what you just said, like to unpack because I Mike and I have talked about this a lot. But I think you can if. An artist is just something that you are or you aren't, and I think I really believe that. That's why you can look at, you know, kids who don't have really a self-image yet or insecurity. They'll they'll create a little drawing and be like, "There's some art in that." Like, and some I don't remember who, who said this, but um, everyone's born an artist, and some are just trained out of it. I think it was Sir, Sir Richard. Ken. Yeah, Sir Ken Richardson. Ken Richardson. Sir Ken Robinson. Robinson. Google that guy, he's got an amazing TED Talk about education, but um, it's huge because I think that it, we, we should delineate as artists and, and people who are trying to progress, if we, if we OD on, on, on progressing our craft, we forget to make art or we, pro, or we put it off, like right. I'll make art when I'm, when I'm worthy of making art, but right. if you give me a piece of paper and a paintbrush, I'll be like, I'm not a painter. So I'm going to paint within my ability, but I'll, I'm, I would rather make art than attempt to make something super, super above my craft level. Right. So I might just be a guy who does like a inspired thing and that's it. But I'm not going to try to paint the Mona Lisa. It'll look like a kid did it. So deciding when you're working on your craft and when you're going to actually go, you know what? I have enough craft to make some art. I'm not going to try to shoot above my craft. It's so important, I think, because that's where you get really fed as an artist. Yeah. You feel like you really did something that's going to last, and it's a um, sometimes be your best work. Yeah, because you're not you're not self conscious. You just you're just going. Totally, I know. This is I, what we were talking about, like notes for the sake of notes. Yeah, you know, if someone is really really good <clears throat> at their craft. They just happen to be able to express themselves. That seems very amazing. Yeah. But they're just expressing themselves. They're not necessarily just saying, hey, check this out. Yeah, it's you like know? a person with a large vocabulary. 
It's like, are you using that word because you want to look smart? Or are you using that word because it's part of how you express yourself and you have a depth of vocabulary and and the intelligence to use it? I guess that's kind of... You kind of said that upstairs too, right? Yeah. Like, that vocabulary thing. It's huge. Because I think when you go... This is actually really pervasive in, in drumming. Maybe it's because I come from drumming, but I feel like it's rampant in drumming where it's like drummers practice on the gig and drummers like showing off and drummers tend to get in groups and go drumming you know you don't see a lot of flute players like hanging out in flute circles you know but there's drum circles thank god there's something (laughs) (laughs) flute circle at the beach (laughs) but it's true there's something uniting about drumming and if you go into the psychology of it drumming is actually therapeutic because of what it how it unites your two hemispheres and actually lowers anxiety. There's been studies that have been done. There's an actual anxiety trick. It's not working for me. <laughs> well, here's what you have to do. You're going to laugh at this. I've done it before with somebody. When somebody's having an anxiety attack, <clears throat> you sit across from them, you look each other in the eye. We're not doing this right now. You hold hands and you pump your feet back and forth like double bass. And it does something to your hemispheres because anxiety is, is your fight and flight mechanism in your lizard brain going like this is this is life or death but it's really not yeah and what it does is it reconnects reality with what's happening by by physically that's why drumming the bilateral motion of drumming is actually like therapeutic so i think drummers get obsessed with that that rush of uh, endorphins and how it feels good to drum and forget that the drumming itself is actually an emotive art and if you get on the gig and you're like, look what I can do, look what I can do, look what I can do, look at me, look at me, look at me, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, no, practice there, react to the music here. You know, what you said <laughs> upstairs was awesome, the way you said it. Um, you said when somebody does something uh, virtuosic, yeah, your reaction is one of amazement. Or ego. Or yeah, yeah, ego or envy. Yeah. yeah, but you said, but you said that's the the artist playing the notes wasn't trying to convey a feeling of amazement. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so true. I mean, I'm, I've never really heard it put that way before. But it, and, and I know it was just like quick conversation, but it, it it hit me and it stuck with me. And I think that that's that's really cool. That it's a it, it allows you to filter whether or not something is artful, yeah, artful, genuine, expressionistic, uh, vulnerable, all those things. It's like what, the fact, and then Kevin mentioned that that maybe somebody has skills that put them in the realm of of, of being a virtuoso and and they can be virtuosic, but they're using those skills as a vocabulary to convey an idea. Or a certain emotion, an inner or, experience, yeah. right? And it's not, it's not. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Or it's not, uh, you know. If the reaction is, I'm amazed by that. You have to kind of analyze it because the reaction maybe should have been, oh, I just got like a, like a, like a wave of, of intensity that was super cool, and I don't know why, mm-hmm. you know. And that that's some, there's something else there, <clears throat> intangible there that's. You know, it's, it's funny about that, just from, like, a practical side of it, like, as far as, like, the art of writing music for percussion, like, you know, you want you want to put virtuosic moments in which they can kind of live on their own so we can appreciate 
those things, but that's yeah. not what naturally comes to me. Like, for example, for the front ensemble, the keyboards, I don't want to write a flurry of notes when they're just by themselves because the what musical emotion of what's happening around is, is makes no sense. I like to write it when the texture is thick and rich and it's like a really aggressive moment yeah. because that's when it makes sense to musically write it. Strategically, the clarity isn't there or it's the separation of voices isn't there. So that's mm -hmm. something that's like a trap that I fall into, which is I'm just trying to write for what the music is asking for as opposed to, well, this needs to be a moment for the keyboards. Let's all yeah. stop doing that. It's, I like what you're doing. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, no, the, I do. Well, we've we've got, had that conversation before. It's like, man, you're writing all these fast notes on this big loud part. It's like, well, that's when I hear fast notes. Right. <laughs> and I love that about, because I'm at a pretty far distance from what you guys do. So, like, you know, I'm probably completely unaware of 20%, a good, at least 20, I'll use the 20, at least 20% of of maybe the problems that are happening, you know, like the things that maybe aren't perfectly clean or aligned front to back or the intention of the dynamics isn't there or whatever. And I'm seeing it sort of like a layman, like an educated layman. And what comes across to me are the, the big things, you know, it's like seeing a city from far away. You know, you just see, I'm seeing like the, the, uh, the skyline of what's happening. And the moments I notice of virtuosity on the, in the pit are like when I think of that the first thing I think about is how stark and awesome those dun 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 sure. like that to me even though there's parts that are way hard I'm, I'm aware intellectually that some of the stuff is you know it's like I could probably learn the dun 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 dun, dun and, but no way could I play that other stuff but I wouldn't have written that if he hadn't explained to me what it is that we were trying to create there like that okay. moment it didn't just come out of nowhere. It's not like we said, hey, we need a pit moment, write something. It was like, we need to, to do scenarios. this emotionally. This is what the feeling is of what we're trying to create. Use this motif. And then, otherwise I wouldn't have written that. Mm -hmm. You know, That wouldn't have come naturally. As a, that, It seems opposite of what I normally would have done. Right. And the only reason why it exists like that, in my head, is because of the motivation of what we're trying to do visually. That's so interesting. Cause Kind of what's happening in this, in the way this collaboration works, is a bunch of um, transference, counter-transference, transference, counter-transference. Right. Counter it's like spiraling around in circles and becoming this like conversation. Right. And it's like I saying, "I have a problem. Solve it with your voice." <laughs> yeah. That's basically what we did last week. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. Except it's almost not a problem. I have an unfinished sentence. Right. You want to finish it? Right. Yeah. Because almost, I, I, do you often know you have a problem or do you get something and go, that's a problem? I have a feeling that you kind of go like, here's this thing and you go, that's a problem and I need to fix it's it. Usually, it's usually like, I, thought, I had a problem. What is the... Well, use this as an example at like this specific instance. Um, well, behind the scenes, uh, problem revealing yeah. is I had, I had staged... Pull the curtain on off. This, actually, this, <laughs> this happens every 30 seconds in the show for real like with any show I've ever done uh, I paint myself into a corner with the staging and I, um. I get myself into um, a situation where there's a re there's a, a pending like result a resolution of a phrase that I'm unable to achieve because I've done something to yeah to, I box myself in mm. so what happened at this particular part of the show is we wanted to really feature 
the snares, and we the, everyone had taken off their their equipment, um, their drums, and they're on the other side of the floor um, with this prop choreography to support the snare the snare moment and to give that a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. In doing that, um, I mean, I, I know that the I don't like thinking that the show is necessarily a chess game because it comes off real sterile in the end when you do that. I just sort of like I know I know I just screwed myself and I'll figure it out later. <laughs> it's like just sweep it under the rug for now. So we, we we lived with that for like a week or two, and then we knew we had to go on with the next. We have very real logistics to deal with. Yeah. The art. So so I'm like, how am I going to get the whole battery on the other side of the floor to pick up their equipment? And then I got I have to get the snares out of the way. So the snares have to go over there, and all these guys have to go over there. So I came up with a storyline. I told Kevin what the storyline was, and then I kind of sang him, just just made up stuff with my mouth. Just, here's what it should sound like, and that'll give me a way to get everybody over there, keeping with the storyline, keeping with a sense of purpose, but also serve the logistics of getting us to the other side of the floor. And it actually turned out, it's like one of my favorite moments of the show. And there's a lot of, a lot of the kids actually came up with their own interpretation because while we were staging it um, it wasn't working I wasn't happy with it and so rather than telling everyone what to do I just brought him in that's the part where one guy does a somersault is that different yeah yeah Um, yeah I noticed that it's like that fart that part that fart feels very like ooh there's some individual stuff going on here the way way we kind of solved it sorry um, I was working with uh, another guy on staff, James, and he, uh, you know, we, we were kind of tag teaming this this whole thing, and and we just brought him in and, and told him like the story, like here here's what's happening here, um, here's what I want you thinking about, and put yourself like really put yourself in this position, like when I watch you as an individual, I want to understand what you're going through and what what this what's happening to you. And then we just let it go, and it kind of wrote itself. Like, I did not sit there and say, "You do this, and you do this, and you do that." That would that would have been too contrived, first of all, and we wouldn't have been able to get the emotion from the part. That's huge, man. Having um, a sense of ethics about what you're doing, like a real reason that's connected back to like. Um, I guess you call it like a core motivation, but just like a reason why, like. And making sure that you're never lying to yourself or the audience, being true to the the art, I guess you know. Like, I find that that a lot in um, in writing lyrics because a lot of what we're talking about here is baton handoffs between mediums. Like, it sounds like a lot of the things that happen are like music, and then somebody has writ- written inspiring visual art over the top of it, and then there are times where it it reverses and you need to make a baton handoff between visual arts and music and you're like that's the box you need to get out of and you can choose to get out of it by going back to the core of what this whole show is about or you can just try to trick people and go like ah this will work but you told a story and that led to the the innovation of getting out of it and I find myself interestingly songwriting is a very weird art form because it's it's lyrics and music and music exists in a different part of our brain than our verbal 
center. So you're taking like poetry, which is like emoting through words and like very like frontal cortex stuff, and trying to align or create uh, imbalances or paradoxes or tension between two completely different types of things that take you to different places in your head trying to make them come together and it's very easy to I see it all the time actually with working with songwriters most often they're willing to just go like eh, it's just a lyric like mm. I'm about music let's find a lyric that sounds good and it's like that's something that I've really committed to as a solo artist is to never make is to never sell the music short by creating a lyric that's just for mu music sense it's like I want to be able to, I want the lyrics should stand on their own yet never be disconnected from the music and I think I think you may have um, fewer connections but deeper connections to wait just that. just um, that some of those decisions of you know like you said sweep the lyrics um, might be more commercially motivated commerce motivated yeah so or maybe, this word sounds good there but yeah maybe you, maybe right. you'll have the experience of um, you know more connections but maybe a little on, on a more shallow level as yeah. opposed to maybe less quantity but deeper deeper emotional connection with your with your material yeah I think you can feel when um there's an aura, I think, in work that's been created with a lot of uh, purpose and a high uh, level of responsibility to the core of the work. Like, I learned that in visual arts, like, I worked with, um, what got me into visual art was a, uh, my friend Isaac Anderson, who's, if you go to IsaacAndersonArt.com, his stuff's amazing, he's all plaster work and stuff, and seeing that he really had like he want everything he did even if you weren't going to see it needed to have like a purpose he wasn't just like yeah we'll just nobody's ever going to see this layer because I'm going to put two more layers of plaster on right. so I'll just do whatever he's kind of like no like even if you don't see it and I think Apple works this way in their designs like if you break open an Apple computer it's going to be beautiful still because that attention to detail and that like layers of meaning and stuff like you end up feeling it somehow like that you know like if I'm if you're creating some work of art and it has some personal meaning like to me if I if I you know rather than get some uh, some water from the faucet and put it on the piece to create a patina like like would it be more meaningful if I licked my thumb and like rub some spit in there like there's gonna be some DNA in that part like all those things even that sounds a little gross but those type of decisions like end up affecting the final product in this weird sense. I don't know what it is. I could be deluding myself at that well, matter. I mean, I think for sure, up. your experience, your personal experience of it is different. And, right, and that affects and that affects the way that you present it or discuss it with other people, and then that you know that, that change changes their perception of it. I mean, it's it doesn't maybe necessarily change it on the like immediate yeah. immediate like you know no connection viewing of it but yeah I think times a thousand maybe some of that stuff is noticeable some of it makes you believe in your work yeah. and know that it's true yeah that's that's an interesting thing because I think that's one of the things that I've been so stoked on watching you guys work and working with you is that you both have that sense of like 
um, I don't know, I keep thinking of the word ethics about it. It's like it's an artistic ethic I of think, being true to yourself. I think honestly it's just, I mean, you could you could belittle this thing. It's very easy to belittle. You can say it's just drums in a gym. You can say that, uh, you know, who cares? It's 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 marching band. It's marching drums. It's whatever. But the reality of it is that um, that we're putting our lives into this. It's it's part of our everyday routine. Like this is what we do. This is how we've we've grown to. It's it's not even just a career. It's more like. I still feel that my hobby is my way of making a living and that my hobby turned into a way to make a living and it turned into just who I am. So it's, if, if it is at the, the, the core of your being and I can, I can filter that and make, and, and know that it's true because if somebody, you know, threw, you know, $10 million in my bank account and said, it's yours, um, I'd still be doing this. That's huge. And I'd build my own practice facility. <laughs> That's the first thing I would do. Um, but, you know, I'd still be doing it because it's a passion. And, and so I think because it's that way, because it's not just a trophy, because it's not just drums in a gym or whatever, that it's, you do want to put your spit in it. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to just get tap water. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, it, it sounds a little dramatic, you know, when I put it in the words, but it's 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 the truth. I think, and I think maybe people don't know it, but maybe they feel it. That there's, um, did I think this is a quote that you said the first time you you watched the show? You said it felt important, mm-hmm. and that stuck in my head. And it's like maybe that's why I like things. I like certain things, and I don't like certain things. Like when I when I watch, it could be anything. It could be a concert. It could be a video. It could <clears throat> it could be a bunch of uh, indoor percussion groups back to back to back to back. And some I like, some I don't. And I think it's because some of them feel important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I like those. And it's like that's somebody's passion down there. And and I think yeah, and it, you're talking about something's if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right, in a way. And like the important thing. When you're saying that, I, I thought about this a few months ago about how to quantify the importance of, of art. I guess is like remember that movie that came out. I think Justin Timberlake was in it, where everybody had a little digital readout of how much time they had left. In time. Yeah, is that was so, called something like that. Yeah. So imagine if if that's what's really happening for all of us. We're counting down to goodbye. So you know. How important is seven minutes? Well, if you're going to die 14 minutes from now, that's pretty important. <laughs> so, in whatever we're doing, is we're de- we're dedicating our attention, which human beings have very limited attention. It's like what we're looking at or listening to, especially when we're experiencing music. Usually, for those of us who really love music, it's all of our attention on the music most often. Sometimes it might be like music in the gym, but when it's important you're like ah, the, the feeling of importance comes from I didn't waste my life on that seven minutes like I got something out of that that was life life affirming and worth my time and I feel like as an artist I know that's what 
I would want to be doing as an artist is never do some, never spend my time creating something that's not going to be important when people hear it because it takes so much longer to make it than it does to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, it's got to be important that I spent the time making it because it took days or weeks, and then people are spending their life, a piece of their life, listening to it. Are we contributing to an important part of their life? Or are they going to go like, are they just going to be like, wow, entertaining, and then forget about it? Are they going to ruminate on it? Like, So, I mean, there's a huge difference. Like, when I watch Shawshank Redemption, the movie, like, that's an, and I've watched it a lot. So, like, I've spent a significant portion of my life watching one movie. But if I put that side by side with the two hours of maybe Transformers 3 or something, it's like the importance level. And what's wagging those dogs, you know? Like, what tail is wagging those dogs? Like, you can feel a bunch of extremely talented artists worked on Transformers. Like, the level of the craftsmanship craft and, like... But they were aimed by people thinking about money. Hey, amazing artist, make this thing that's going to break the box office records, you know, or whatever. And they're, like, turning... The reaction is, that's amazing. And the reaction is, that's amazing, and thanks a lot, and... It doesn't resonate like a movie like Shawshank Redemption, which came out and did decent, and then it's become one of the top movies of all time on everybody's list because the meaning has lasted and stood the yeah. test of time. Are we going to go back to Transformers, Transformers? It doesn't make you leave the theater wanting to improve your life. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's actually a, I want to get out of my life and disappear for a minute into some other world because my, you know, I don't know, it's escapism. I guess is the word for that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the... Are we on a high horse right now? I'm afraid. Yeah. We're not on a high horse. We're not on a high horse. <laughs> you noticed it? Yeah. But, I mean, we're it's all... It's a good one, though. It's, that's it's, part of the human condition. I don't think it's on a high horse to say to want something to seem important. You know? And there's times where you just want entertainment. Where you want to be at the gym, and you want to listen to Lady Lumps, and, you know, whatever you're listening to. Um, we need the awake version of going to sleep, which is just like yeah. a break. We no, can't just be in like important mode. But I think yeah. you know, in so, the context, yeah. in the context of you know, um, three dozen kids, college kids, spending thousands and thousands of dollars and spending nine to ten, sometimes eleven months on a project, yeah. traveling hours away from home, away yeah. from their family. We're talking about how people are spending their lives as yeah. opposed to consuming... It better feel important at the end of the day. It better feel important. Even so if it's comedy. It doesn't have to be serious. It could be... There could be lighthearted moments. I mean, like, when you watch... I, I don't know. First movie to come to mind, like, maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, there's something important about that. But there's there's comedy in there. There's lighthearted. And there's levity. Mm -hmm. There's humor. Um, and there's a good maybe guy... Maybe not the best example. But no, it's a great example because office space. <laughs> but that's, get uh, out of your cubicle. A lot of those movies have we connect to them on a deep level because of the iconic human struggle, like good guys against bad guys. You know, like Indiana Jones, one guy against the Nazis is really kind of what we were seeing. Like one guy who cared about artifacts and cared about history is going to go out and go and go against this force of evil who doesn't have any respect for artifacts and history. Like. It's entertainment. It's wrapped up in entertainment, but those movies stand the test of time, I think, because of those undercurrents. Like, Star Wars right. is rooted in mythology. George Lucas 
built Star Wars around like ancient mythology about good guys and there's, bad guys. And there's humor in Star Wars. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. Um, I forget where I was going. I had a, I had a path and sorry, I'm a, a diverted. We rabbit hole. I'm the diversion like, all over the place. Guy, the great diverter. <laughs> I'm super interested though, and in when I said, "Are we on a high horse?" and you immediately went, "Yes." No, <laughs> like what? what I, you, you know why I say that? Because I feel like I fall into that trap, and like I don't want to sound pompous. You right. know, that's the, and so I say that. Like, hey, you know, I would, I would honestly, like, yeah, yeah. But I think it's okay. Not don't, to you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want if, if I, if I could hand you the conch and. A microphone. I'm just taking and say I, and say. Listen, what what do you want to like tell? A, what do you want to tell your your fellow competitors in the activity? Even maybe as a, a cohort, like a, on on the same level, or even up and comers that are just yeah. learning how to do this. And I would say, make sure it's all about the art of the deal. <laughs> no, sorry, keep going. I think it's an okay thing, and it's not a high horse to say what you're doing matters. It, it matters, but it's it's affecting so many lives and so many people are putting time and money into this that it's it's got to be meaningful and it's got to be important. Mm -hmm. And that is not the same. That's not synonymous with saying your show has to be serious. Or yeah. Every song has to be serious or it has to be dark. It's, it's not saying that. It's, it's got to be honest. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, I, I feel... It, you know, I really value humor and stuff, but I feel pretty serious a lot of the time. Like, and so my work, I think, expresses how I really feel. And, right. he, and some but you people also don't have like that other project like that. that you, I know, you spend time on, and you're you're proud of it in in some ways, maybe different ways. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely got moon tongue killer? in cheek. Yeah, it's tongue in cheek, <laughs> and it's pretty cool stuff. Because that was moon killer. If you want to look it up, because that was. <laughs> Serious frustration with levity. So, like, the definition of this band, Mooncaller, which is me and Gannon, is every time we'd get frustrated with the fact that we would rather be making expressionistic work, we have to sometimes go like, over here and, like, make something for a corporation and, like, be kind of told what to do and paid for it, so wah. But... <laughs> but Sometimes in those situations, we you often get somebody who doesn't appreciate what you did, or is insensitive to you, or ends up being a total jerk, or whatever it is. Somebody like in the industry, um, <clears throat> and that project was an outlet for those frustrations. So, a lot of that feeling was like, oh yeah, we have a lot to whine about. We're not starving. We're not like we're annoyed about this thing we're getting paid to do. First world problems. First world problems. But it was like, yeah, but we're truly like pissed off. In a, and that's what that pro that was. So there's a lot of sarcasm, but there's legitimate like. Argh! I think the world the world needs everybody that, that regardless of what level you're on of, of your Maslow's pyramid, regardless of what level you're on, the world needs everyone to be honest to have those challenges and to have those standards. Oh, okay. Like you could say, well, yeah, but I, you know, I'm I'm making this amount of money, so I shouldn't complain. Well, that's that's how that's how things get done on a on a grandiose level is that right. there's people um, on those tiers that have standards that aren't being met. I mean, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs. I mean, you can just go on and on. I'm sure they have you know first world problems, but it's it's kind of a good thing that they aren't satisfied and that they they are calling 
you know, BS on whatever they deserves it. Yeah, because I think the the issue and the problem with um, uh oh, out of my depth warning sign. The problem with the idea of like a communist or socialist maybe outlook is that like let's say you have ten dollars and I have a hundred, so I should give you an amount of money so we both have the same amount of money. That's like fair, you know. I think that when you do you have a high responsibility when like let's say you are Elon Musk or something, let's say you have hundreds of millions of dollars at your disposal. You can choose to do something like that and some people will and that's we need them too. Or you can choose to go like, okay, I'm in a very privileged position. You have a responsibility. So I have a responsibility. Right. And I think if you feel that responsibility, like, I feel like it's a huge, and I don't feel this enough, but when I'm in my right mind and I get to walk into this studio and have all this gear, the best place I should be in is like, I have a responsibility to use this gear for like important projects. Same thing we're saying know? about these kids paying their fees and, and the, yeah. this this thing that we embark upon like you have a responsibility to make sure it's it's important I'm curious to hear from you I just wanted to finish the thought on the high horse thing oh sure I, I agree completely like I think what we work on on a daily basis should be something that's meaningful and important I guess the only my only minor reservation was to make sure that we're not assuming that others aren't functioning that way either and that's the only slight right. way to get that we, you know, we got to be careful we don't rub people the wrong way sometimes. When you're talking about your own personal motivations and expressions, just make, we make sure that we put them in the light of this is what's important to us as opposed to this is what's important to us in contrast to, if that makes any sense. It really does. Yeah, and I'm I, sure think I, totally, I totally get what you're saying. And that it can definitely be perceived misconstrued yeah because yeah, it's important even to because we were talking about I was I that came to me when I when we were talking about like valuing you know Shawshank over Transformers and then the fallout of that how it affects everything we do you know yeah. and then that can be perceived as sitting around going like what we do is important and everything right but I mean, there, there's but those it technicians is that it is to us, but it's important that some things are really important to us that aren't important at all to other people, because they have a whole list of. Uh, I'm glad that there are people that consider financing important, and like things that like I couldn't do for more than 15 minutes without exploding. Right. Thank God there's somebody that goes, this is important, and I right. love doing this. Like I think I think drumline is important, but I don't compost. So, like, to somebody, I'm right. super BS, you know, because <laughs> I'm not looking at the bigger picture. So, yeah, you know. It takes all kinds, I guess. Like, it, Totally. That's why being true to yourself, like, I believe, here, here's a tangent for you. I believe that, that one of my reasons for believing that there's a God is that, is that so many different types of things get done that, that I can't believe they get done. Like, there's somebody who, who is a garbage man, and there are other jobs that that person could get. For some reason, they're okay being a garbage man, and their passions are somewhere else. Like, it's fine. It's great. And what if everybody was had the mentality that I'll never be a garbage man, or that looks down on that job? We would have no garbage men. But that garbage man might be the best dad on earth, like, or be focused on some other thing and that's where his passion goes or maybe his passion is in garbage and goes like it's important that somebody does this like um, and 
sorry to any garbage men out there if that sounds like I'm using like a some sort of a stereotype, stereotype or something, but just you think of jo dirty jobs or something, or jobs that don't seem like they're glamorous or that aren't fun. Not every, I think we're blessed to be able to do things that are fun, and I think I'm on high horse there, right now. No, the, no, the, I know what you're saying, because there's people, there's people out there, and um, I've, I've known a lot of um, contractor types. I think I would put them in the same category as, you say, a, a garbage man. I mean... It almost sounds. Uh oh. No, yeah. It almost sounds like a derogatory. It's not. Well, so what I, what I mean, about manual labor, hard work. Yeah, like, work. And, and I know the personality types because I, I have friends that are that are that way, and their personality is work, 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 collect a paycheck, and they go to the Play. river, and they own they own boats, they own um, like jet skis, like watercrafts, they they go out to uh, the desert and ride dune buggies. Like that's their that's their. Their joy in life, that's where they get their joy in life. Is they, they work, they cash the check, and then they go have fun. And they, they, they live like, they probably outside more than we're ever outside. I was about to say that. The, you know? the through line is that they love being outdoors and right. being physical, and they do that for their job. And that's and just the way they're wired, and it's, it's, not, it's not good, bad. I mean, you, you said it, that the world needs all those different types of people, and that things just get done. You can't believe they get done. And I, I have some legitimate. Envy. The, the guy who built the studio, his name's Jeff Ritchie, Ritchie Brothers Construction, if you need some construction. And he's super great guy, awesome, like, cool spirit in him. And he's that, like, described him. And he, he goes hunting, he goes four-wheel driving, he goes to the river. He, does, he takes vacations, and I'm like, gosh, man, he really enjoys his life. Like, he knows how to turn it off. And I don't and I'm like I gotta learn how to do that better because I don't turn it off I'm the extreme don't turn it off yeah <laughs> and it's great but it's like that's why times like this like hanging out is so like counter to who I am like to just to have a podcast and to slow down and have these discussions is like I'm not naturally relational in this way like just for the sake of doing it and for the sake of you guys listening like it feels this feels like a, a vacation on Maui for me. Like this is like ah, this is so different yeah. than the actual work. You know what I'm curious about? Yeah. To, um, is what you said upstairs when we were talking before the podcast about the things that you were doing in your life to uh, take yourself towards. I don't know how did you describe it. Urgent versus important. That we're talking yeah, about. and how you were snipping things out of your life. Yeah, we were just talking about it's not even like necessarily snipping things more than just reorganizing or even establishing or even evaluating for the first time ever what's important. And you know, that's it's something that you overlook. Like one of the things that you know, I have a lot of colleagues that are in their early twenties that are mm -hmm. you know just kind of finishing marching and they're kind of helping out at the groups that we teach and just in random conversation we just get to chat and like I really try to channel like what would I tell myself 10 years ago yeah you know and some of the things that like I'm going through now probably could have been avoided with a little bit of foresight you know and so it's really just now I'm like okay well now that I know it's not even about regrets it's just about thinking forward as yeah. opposed to just existing daily and mentoring, it sounds like, too. Yeah, and so I think that's the biggest thing that I'm getting to right now is 
not necessarily just focusing on things that require my mental attention daily, yeah. but looking at what are the long-term um, visions or plans and what can I do to build up to those as opposed to just, cool, what am I going to do today? You know? Yeah. So, um, and we were talking about, like, I spent a lot of uh, the last 10 years just saying yes to everything. Oh, that's right, yeah. And um, because it was, A, wanted the gigs and needed the money and... <laughs> B was really flattered that someone would even ask me to do it and so you know I yeah I I exist with writing six shows why not seven I could do that okay and then that turns into well I'm not dead so I guess I could probably do eight you know like I did spend some time watching TV the other day so I probably could write a whole nother show Wow. so it gets to a point where Yeah. yeah you know I driving and sitting in LA traffic and just figuring out that like I probably spend a good third of my life sitting in a car and, you know, spending all that time in front of a computer and, and like, yes, a lot has come of it and had some level of success, but you start getting to a point where you're like, okay, well, what am I translating that into? What, what kind of impact am I going to leave? Um, what kind of good and am I doing for others or what kind of help am I, you know, and like I went on this trip to Asia and getting a chance to work with people um, that have a totally different background or mental state and level of appreciation mm. was really eye-opening and you know I think appreciation it, for what just basically. like that we were there to help them okay. you know and um, not that students <clears throat> and, and people aren't appreciative here they are but there we all have a different level of comfort and background and and sometimes you get lazy with the fact that we have so much stuff yeah and we get lazy with the fact that we have so many programs in the arts right and in music and the fact that they have somewhere to come to rehearsal and that they have equipment and that they have someone there in front of them that knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. to help them you know and so we take that for granted and then you go and you travel to a different part of the world where they kind of just are learning by watching youtube and they're just doing it for the love of it yeah. And they show up in any small amount of information that you can give them. It's like life changing, you know, and, um, and to get it firsthand probably too. Yeah. Like and what was the, when was the last time someone thanked you like legitimately from the bottom of their heart? Like, yeah, it happens very rarely. You know, that's does. a selfish thing, like to want to experience that. But it's natural. Yeah. You know, it's I, it's so again, like to try to kind of have those experiences and then say, OK, that is an experience worth replicating. What can I do long term to try to put myself in a situation to have more, more of those experiences, as opposed to what project do I need to finish today? So that's awesome, man. You know, that's just a mental state that I need to try to develop. It's not like one is wrong and one is right. It's just that's what I've found valuable in the last year or so, or kind of shifting my values. You know, you could say. I'm, that's my version of my midlife crisis. <laughs> but it sounds like a midlife bloom. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Hashtag bloom. But what's cool about that is that, you know, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about education, mentorship, all that stuff. You know, and it's been sort of a natural part of my career. I'm always kind of, you know, being a producer. The definition of that tends to be, you know guiding somebody through a process of the making of something from a slightly 
panned out place a little bit of helping people through you know vocal performances or which is one of the most kind of vulnerable things you can do is be in front of a mic expressing yourself with your actual body yeah. um, and it's interesting because when you're truly doing something for the sake of somebody else like with that kind of generosity um, it's really difficult to be an artist but also be incredibly generous at the same time because being an artist is so self-centered yeah. um, and it's I always like to draw a line between selfish and self-centered because I think selfish is bad and self-centered is good as long as you're not self-centered forever but self like little moments of self-centeredness is what art is how you make art and then you come out of that and then you go here this is for you which is very you know generous and what I made this <laughs> you made, I made this. this I made this <laughs> I'll put that cartoon at the end. Yeah. So uh, you know, I saw that cartoon in the color version after you sent it to me in the black and white. I think the black and white version is has a different message. Oh, interesting. Because there's a colored version, right? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen. I, it. I just saw the. So the black and white version is like an identical thing, right? Oh, and, here we and go. The person is like, I took something that you gave me and I made the same thing, but there is a colored version where I think the color changes. Oh. And so they're like, they so took something that was blue painted it red and they said so it's like interesting I like our version better I know it's just interesting <laughs> that like adding color better. to it totally changed the one is super sarcastic and like really like a, a, a stealer edgy like yeah and stealer. the other one is like this is life this is what happens yeah you take something you put your tint on it and then you pass it along wow so that's the um, collage that's culture too, we were talking way about way too positive yeah <laughs> just a simple thing of I, 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 well, find, I, I find art in the, that juxtaposition I do too because there's a uh, for one you could say that hey I stole a car and then I painted it red and nobody could recognize the original car <laughs> it's like there's a deviousness in that or there's like I took this raw material right. and turned it into art and now I made this Right. but that from a we were talking about this earlier it's hard to rehash the whole thing but basically like I didn't make this guitar. You know what I mean? So, like, do I have a right to play it? Right. You know, and, like, create something from it because I didn't create it. You know what I mean? It chose the strings. Does my, is my art more meaningful if I make my tools? You know, and I would, I would think there's a difference between the tools and the art. I think if you're taking art and then making more art, then that's something different. Like, when I make... You guys can probably see this, this piece right here. It's called A Study of Fortitude. And I repurpose antiques to make to make tell a story um but i never take art and repurpose art it's a it's a line that i i won't cross because i feel like i i'm taking something that has a story because it's an antique it has scratches on it that i don't know how they got there but i'm curious about that story and put it in a context where i'm telling my story so it's story upon story upon story but if i take somebody's art those things are most often craft pieces of craft you know like just something god made like a backbone or like a magnifying glass which was used to magnify so that to me is a different story but if i took a bunch of people's paintings and then put them together into my painting i feel like I, i'm distancing myself from what i'm trying to say right. by using other people's expression which is kind of the i made this thing well which is basically what we do <laughs> 
kind of, but it's kind collaborative. Of, kind of. I think it's that's why I think this is a huge turning point. Well, that's that's why I brought up the point of accountability earlier. Yeah, is that there's we're not doing it willy nilly, and you're not doing it. I feel without, better about it. Then I think without the artist's permission or knowledge is a very different thing philosophically. Like yeah. for me to come in and say, guys, take whatever you want of mine, and then if something feels wrong, I'll tell you guys. Like if. Right. Like let's with, do this together though. let's That's do this like, together it's a yeah. huge difference yeah. rather than and this is a whole can of worms I mean I, some of it has to do with limited resources and sure. uh, you know and like time frames you know and like just like a, a you know a director of a movie is directing his movie and he's got a certain idea so he's going to put down a temp track mm-hmm. but then he's got millions of dollars to spend on a composer who can recreate that right. whereas in our activity you've got a couple months and maybe the the resource level isn't there, so you have a song that you put in for your idea, uh-huh. and you know what? That's the song we got to use. So, right, you know. So I I would say that there's a little bit of confounding circumstance. For sure, there's resourcefulness, and the difference between resourcefulness and resources um, is an important subject because I think in hip hop culture, um, sampling and and doing things is it can be done in an ethical way and an unethical way. And a lot of times it's it's uh, it's out of necessity. Like, right. like I'm a big believe. I have like really strong opinions. For example, about drum samples and drum libraries and plugins that create drum performances. Um, I think it's an awesome tool for songwriters who don't have aren't drummers or don't have access to drums. But I think it's only. I, I feel like you should only be able to use it if you read a thing that says. Now remember, somebody hit this drum. There's an artist that hit this drum, and his name is a drummer, and you're using that. So he, did, he didn't hit it with your song in mind. Right. So you, that's yeah. like, be aware of what you're doing, and then the second that you can get a real drummer to hit the drums based on the, your song, do that. Yeah. Don't just stand on the shoulders of these other this, artists. This is why the live performances of what we do turn out so much better than the MP3s. As much as we want the MP3s to be like really close representations of what we want, the live performer just changes the game completely. Yeah, because you've been able to feed them like yeah. why well, they're bringing why? they're bringing their past and their training and their background. Their it's how touch. You, it's how you play it. Right, it's everything. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's like a maybe a good note to end on. No, we got to end on Kevin's Kevin's song. Oh, that's right. The only song that I know. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Adam, for uh, having me over. Yeah, man. This place really loves having you on. Do this more. You got Kevin, known to you as K Shaw. K Shaw. You got to be in the room to call him Kevin. Just kidding. Mike Jackson. I'm Adam, and you are you. Don't forget that. You're you. <laughs> See you guys. Peace. Ringing sound, poison rain, don't come around, here again, I will cover you, you will feel no pain, 
Cause the money's gonna lie